Welcome back to your Daily Dose. It's me, I'm Nick. When I was a kid, there were a few professions I was certain I was going to go into. Astronaut, yes. Architect, no doubt. And writer. The last one seemed the most realistic to me since I couldn't hold my breath for long and my art skills are lacking. But no matter how many words I put on a page, no matter how many tens of thousands of hours I invest, I never think I'm any good at it. But don't write me off yet. Creative writing and storytelling has scared me a little bit lately. So I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of ease back into it. So the community paper, which I was writing for a little bit um, back in 2018, 2019, yeah. and a little bit in 2020, um, they reached out to me and said, hey, you live in College Park. Uh, we need somebody to call it, to cover the College Park beat, oh, for lack of a better term, that's awesome. for the paper. So I was like, you know what? That would be great. It's, it's journalistic in nature. It is, it's a deadline. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a job, which is nice. And yeah. uh, it gets me out in the community a little bit more um, than I normally would because I need to be pushed like that. I need to have that. I love that role for you, though. I think that's, that's because yeah. you get to go out and look at things in a different way, right? You got to listen to everything inside. These are the things worth bringing to the readers. Well, and it's also stuff that I wouldn't normally like look at as news, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'd be looking for like some of the stuff that I wrote was about uh, the Fringe Festival's lottery system or different um, organizations that you could do public speaking at, mm-hmm. like the stuff, kind of the stuff I'm familiar with, yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was more of this global story. A lot of them were on the cover um your picture was on the cover if i remember correctly wasn't it when i did uh the thing about sack was it yeah i don't don't remember i don't don't remember remember. either but it probably was anyway uh the idea though is that it's something that you know college park is nice but i don't really even though i live there i don't consider it my home base yeah right like as far as my neighborhood um and so it'll be interesting to really get ingrained a little bit more yeah we become more your neighborhood i think yeah once you start digging into the some of that stuff and also people will start to see you out there more they'll i mean i assume they have readership in college park so sure yeah so your neighbors publication started it's been around for 30 years this publication yeah it's incredible that's that's real scrapping i mean you know something to be able to pull it up especially to do a monthly publication for 30 years and is it all online now or is it do they have a paper prints yeah still prints about fifteen thousand a month wow amazing and mails a lot of those that's funny i that fourteen thousand was my circulation for the uh ucf future oh yeah i was the distribution manager of the future (laughs) meaning the delivery boy uh back in the day and that was my number the number of copies that we wanted around the campus which by the way it's a lot of papers. I filled yeah. a big ass van with these papers every a Thursday BAV? night. Oh yeah, yeah. a bath, baby. And uh, and then I would drive it around campus at five o'clock in the morning. My radio blaring, usually Lionel Richie or something really hard sure. like that. And uh, and then I would uh, distribute all those papers, and I was done before eight o'clock in the morning. And then I would go to class and have a great weekend. So that was back when what was it for? Maybe twenty thousand students on campus. Um. Yeah, it's probably about that. Maybe yeah. just a little less than that. Can you imagine if they still? I, I don't think it's around anymore. Um, the, the Central Florida Future, but I, I believe it is. Did actually, they bring it back? I think, oh, did they get rid of it? Uh, I <laughs> thought it was gone for a little bit, but in any case, I don't know. You like, know, imagine how many you'd have to distribute now. 
Oh, I mean, it's incredible. And the Don't they have like so 50,000 students now? It's if not 60. I mean, I know a lot crazy. aren't on campus, but right. still. Still, yeah, yeah, I agree. At that time, by the way, my, uh, my editor was Mike Griffin, who used to be a writer for the Sentinel, who is now uh, the vice president of community health and public policy for Advent Health. Oh, nice. Yeah, the interesting, the path that we both came up, and he, would, he used to antagonize me. I was I was a kid with a big mouth, right? And I and I was witty. I, <laughs> you know, hard to believe. You were a kid. What? You were a kid at one time. Okay. I was. I have. I believe the big mouth. This, this bearded wonder. <laughs> it was. It was a really antagonistic relationship. But we ended up becoming friends before I graduated, and then since then, in the professional world, we've intersected a bunch of times. And he's actually hired me a couple times to work with his team. So it was, it was a good kind of circle. But anyways. All that from uh, you talking about the community papers, uh, fourteen, fifteen thousand a month. Yep. Uh, in circulation, it is monthly. It comes out yeah. once a month. That's kind of cool. I used to write, you know. I used to write for a publication. I know. Did you know we? Do you feel like? Do you feel like create? Yeah. 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 yeah I saw um, when I was doing uh, the typewriters at uh, SAC or not at SAC at um, Fringe Festival a couple years ago. I was set up in the reps back theater. I was set oh, yeah. up right outside there and they have, for some reason they have some framed copies of that magazine up there. And one of them was one of your articles. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah. Oh, that makes me curious now. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I don't think you were talking about the rep specifically, but for some reason they had some stuff about create magazine up there. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Jerry Brown uh, showed some courage when he let me write for that magazine at first, he reached out to me because he thought he wanted me to help him sell magazines. Like he wanted me to either be a you know, independent rep for him or find other people and manage a, a sales force for ads. And I'm like, that's not my gig, really. But I'll be happy to write some sidebars for you. I'm write some little fun things that you can scatter throughout the magazine. And he liked that. And then I'm walking downtown. And I'm looking in the gallery at Avalon. Mm-hmm. You know where that is. One of the yep. oldest buildings in Orlando, by the way. And I see this incredible, beautiful face. This, it's, and I thought it was a photograph. Is it me? It was not you. Oh, okay. Just checking. I thought it was, I thought it was a photograph, but it was a painting. Was it a painting of me? It was not a painting or a photograph of you, Nick. It's not about you. Not this time. Weird. <laughs> name of the I show is your daily dose of bob and nick it seems like it should be about both of us if it's just about you then who really wants to listen to that <laughs> i don't even want to finish the story now all right beautiful I painting I, the, well, the point was that i learned that it was done by a painter by the name of edson campos okay who is an incredible painter amazing and i i came back to my studio and i found myself yearning to create stuff i wanted to draw something i wanted to paint something i wanted to I wanted to create something and you I really were so inspired by it. Yeah. 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 And that awesome. made me go, Ooh, that was like contagious creativity. And yeah. so I called up Jerry Brown and I said, Hey, I'd like to write a column for you called quest for creative inspiration. I want to talk to artists and find out where they get their juju, where they get their creative jazz, how they know they're losing it and how they replenish it. And he's like, I love it. Do it. And so I did the first person that I interviewed was Edson Campos. Oh and, yeah. And, I mean, uh, you almost had to. After yeah. It that seemed experience. like it was the yeah. perfect. And he was an incredible person to start with. Yeah. And I've interviewed all kinds of artists throughout our community, just trying to glean 
what they get out of it through that process. And it was really satisfying to me. But you talk about deadline. If I didn't have a deadline, none of that would have gotten written. Yeah. None of it. Yeah. But it's nice to have an audience, isn't it? It is, but it's also intimidating. So the yeah. things that I was sort of pulling the ripcord on, uh, Danielle Ziss had reached out to me a couple of times the last time they've done um, Orlando Story Club. Yeah. Hey, will you come out? We need people. We need somebody to tell a story. And I was just like, I, at first I was yes, because I'm always yes. Yeah, yeah. And then I started putting the story together and I felt this intimidation. And I, uh, I was just like, hey, I can't make it. And there was another thing that they worked on right, I think it was right at the beginning of 2020. So we started talking about it in 2019 where they did uh, the storytelling and the music at the Timaqua White House. Ooh. Do you remember that? I, I you know something vaguely. I, it makes me want to actually do it. Yeah. So they had the Orlando composers group. I can't remember the name of the group, but some really amazing, smart, wonderful people. Um, and they had the first meeting in the milk district and I was just like, Oh yeah, I'll come to that. And so just because I came to the meeting, they were like, Oh, then you want to do it. And you're one of the writers Yeah. and we get to close to the first, uh, deadline. And I was like, guys, I am, this is too much for me. This is too much. And I don't know if it was the responsibility. I don't remember what I had going on, but I don't think like there's never a good time to do something like that. Right. You're not going to be in a position where I have the next three weeks to write a story because for these three weeks, I'll be creative for sure. You know, there's nothing <laughs> like that. Exactly. Uh, it's like having a kid. There's no right time to talk to children. Um, <laughs> there's is the thing though. It sounds to me like you were having a crisis of confidence. More I, than you were. Well, and I think that it was, it was a lot of it was imposter syndrome. I'm like, I just, yeah. Just because I showed up, you guys shouldn't let me try to tell a story and then tell somebody to put music to it. I, I, oh, I, and I, I would, wish I, I know, but this is what I was feeling at I the time. It was a hundred percent imposter syndrome. Yeah. It was a hundred percent like, I, I don't deserve this. Like, find somebody who's going to tell a better story. Find somebody who's going to do this yeah. in a much more uh, cohesive and wonderful manner than I am. You rock blocked yourself. I did. And here's the thing. How many places in your life do you do that? Because I have to tell you something. Just imagining you creating a story and then somebody setting it to music makes me want to go see that. Yeah. And, 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 and I know now you look. scares the shit out of me. Now. Yeah. But here's the, what's the worst thing that can happen? I know. I know. I, and this is what I go through in my head a lot, which is, okay, seriously, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? I had it happen to me. I was in front of that Leadership Orlando class and my projector died and I blanked. That's to me is what I have nightmares about, right? And it happened to me and I survived. And here's the thing, it's all survivable. And you putting yourself out there, I realize the risks. I, you know I do because oh, yeah. I, I do it on a regular basis. But you have to be into the rewards more than you are the fear. Because I have to tell you, I have to get over the fear every time I go out there. More since the pandemic, to be honest, I have found myself facing anxiety before I have gigs. The gigs have been going great. Like, yeah picture perfect i'm everything's going wonderfully just like it had before I, I hit the pandemic but before i get there i'm feeling it and i'm feeling like i would really rather not do this i'd really rather just hang out with patty at home or play with my pets than face an audience and then i do it and i feel better about it so i really feel like you having a taste of it to remind you that it's worth stepping through that fear yeah it's probably good for you or you decide it's not 
you decide, okay, it's not something I want to do. But I feel like, oh, yeah, but, but you, at least try it. Yeah, well, and you in particular, man. Me. You need an audience. Me. Yeah, I said like that. You. Cause me. Because I want to emphasize that I, I feel like you you have earned an audience. You put content out there. You're thoughtful. You're fun, creative. you got a great podcast voice. This I know to be true. And face. And face. <laughs> you go face for the radio. GPF. So. Great podcast face. <laughs> Hi, gang. It's Bob. I too feel like an imposter sometimes. Most of the time, I just power through until I prove to myself that I'm not just a faker. Other times, it can be pretty stifling and nerve-wracking. In all my experience with it, I've learned that the imposter syndrome is about one thing and one thing only. Fear of how others perceive us. It's a powerful force that can keep us from doing the stuff we really want to do. Once we get over that fear, we're free to be you and me. So let's do that. Let's get over it. Until next time, thanks for listening.